Jesus was speaking of that wondrous love on the eve of his death. When he said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. In 1923, a meeting of the world's financial clem at a clem. Financial movers and shakers in society. Meeting in the Edgewater Beach Hotel, Windy City, Chicago. At that famous gathering, nine of the most successful money makers were there. Number one, the president of the largest independent steel company in the nation. Number two, the president of the largest utility company. Number three, the president of the largest gas company, the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the cabinet of the president of the United States, the greatest investor on Wall Street's stock market the head of the world's greatest monopoly, and finally, the president of the Bank of International Settlements. Talking about a high-powered convocation, the supreme masters of the financial universe. And yet, listen, tragically, 25 years later, okay, 1948, get a load of this, how dramatically the picture has changed. Charles Schwab, you heard that name, has died bankrupt after living on borrowed money for the last five years of his life. Samuel Insull has died a fugitive from justice, penniless in a foreign land. Howard Hobson has gone insane. Arthur Critton has died abroad insolvent. Richard Whitney has just been released from Sing Sing. That would be the federal penitentiary. Albert Fall has been pardoned from prison so he can die at home. Jesse Livermore has committed suicide, as has Leon Fraser and Ivar Kruger. Nine masters of finance who were mastered in the end by their own wealth. What might we learn from their tragic endings? Let me share one writer's reflection. The extraordinary sameness of the hellish gravity of their famous lives is a divine warning. For God set the ghosts of these financial giants as spectral mid-century witnesses to a nation about to run amok in materialism. Today their ghosts have faded and a new gallery of forlorn spirits is assembling. Wow. How can a man, how can a woman, how can we live so selfishly if we believe that we are alive because someone laid down his life for us. Mm. Title of this homily, A Trickle of Contentment. Open your Bible with me, please, to these words I read just a moment ago, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I'm in the, the New International Version today, John 15, verse 13, Jesus, it's Thursday night, he'll be dead at this time tomorrow. You didn't bring a Bible, pull the pew Bible out, follow along, page 727, Jesus speaking, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life 
for one's friends. The radical selflessness of God in Christ. And all for what? I mean, for what? For me? Are you kidding? For you? Have you looked? Have you looked into your selfish heart lately? Lately, I found myself praying Job's prayer, the last chapter of his book. Oh, God, I abhor myself and repent with dust and ashes. It's bad inside. And you know what? The closer we look, the worse and darker it gets. G. Campbell Morgan, the, the great English preacher of the Westminster Chapel in London, described in his book, The Crises of the Christ, how really ludicrous this notion that God should step into the ruin we have wreaked on our own lives. I'll put his words on the screen. By the way, you have a study guide today, nothing to fill in, but I want you to have these quotes so you can take the quotes home. G. Campbell Morgan, God is not bound to do anything for man. Man has forfeited his whole claim upon God by sin. There is absolutely no reason why the distorted and ruined image should be redeemed or reconstructed. But the very ruin of man included within it man's spoiling and man's sorrow, creating a great cry which appealed to the infinite love of the infinite heart. The call of man in his ruin, love heard and love answered in the gift of Christ, who is himself to traverse the path of pain and suffering to the final and absolute limit that out of all of this, we might be lifted into the realm where it will be possible to fulfill the initial purpose for our creation and thus satisfy the purpose of God, which is the purpose of love, end quote. That's pretty good, isn't it? Wow. Our ludicrous sin... That we should live so blatantly, so selfishly for ourselves, our ludicrous sin. Do you know what the word ludicrous means? Farcical, nonsensical, absurd. Our absurd sin is met by God's profligate. You know what profligate means? It means reckless. It means extravagant, wasteful. Our ludicrous sin is met by God's profligate love. What wondrous love is this? I don't understand it. Do you? I subscribe to an economist blog. His name is John Malden. It's good stuff. So anyway, in the blog this week, he is decrying in his blog. It's usually dealing with the economy, but this week he's decrying in his blog this, this hemorrhaging humanitarian crisis taking, taking place right now as we speak on our southern borders. Are you following this story? Since the new year, it is now estimated over 40,000 unaccompanied minors from Central America, some of them as young as four and five years old, no adults, over 40,000 of them have illegally crossed over, under, through the barbed wire fences. Estimates suggest, by the way, that the number by the end of this year will be 90,000 kids. You know what they're doing? They're, they're, they're searching for their undocumented worker parents somewhere in the United States. And now they're here, being warehoused like chattel until authorities can figure out what are we going to do with them. So Malden, I'm quoting him now, these are children, and they are on our doorstep and on our watch. 
You simply can't ignore them and say, oh, they're not supposed to be here, so it's not our responsibility. They are children, end quote. And by the way, now there are children. Could that be the heart cry of God? The heart cry of God to heaven's protesting. Father, you can't be serious. These illegals, you're going to bring them into our house? God says, but they're children. They are my children. As Karen saying a moment ago, what wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. What wondrous love is this? That caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. For my soul. Jesus the night of his betrayal. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. In the book Amazing Grace, oh, I love this. I hadn't seen this before this week. I'll share it with you. You can take it home, put it on the screen. It is through the gift of Christ that we receive every blessing through that gift, there comes to us day by day the unfailing flow of Jehovah's goodness. Every flower with its delicate tints and sweet fragrance is given for our, our enjoyment through that one capital G gift. The sun and the moon were made by Him. There's not a star that beautifies the heavens which He did not make. There is not an article of food upon our tables. You're going home to a great dinner today, perhaps. There is not an article of that food on your table that He has not provided for our sustenance. And then I love this line, the, subscript, the superscription of Christ is upon it all. Boy, that's, one log, that's one to log away. The superscription of Christ is upon it all. Everything is supplied to man and woman through that one unspeakable gift, the only begotten Son of God. He was nailed to the cross that all these bounties might flow to God's workmanship. And guess what? You and I are God's workmanship. All of these blessings, the bountiful abundance of heaven that flows into our lives was made available when he was nailed to the cross. What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul. Greater love has no one than this. No greater love. No greater love. How do you pay back? How do you pay back a God like this? I mean, how do you pay him back? One last quote, James Denny, in his book, The Death of Christ, he's absolutely right. One sentence, put it on the screen. I do not hesitate to say, this is good, that the sense of debt to Christ is the most profound and pervasive of all emotions in the New Testament, end quote. A sense of debt. I owe you big time. So how do you pay him back? It's God who has sacrificed so deeply in order to save us and then sustain us after He saved us. It's not like He saved us and then left us alone. He's keeping us going. So I was visiting with a young professor last Sabbath after church. We're chatting away together. He said, hey, hey, hey Dwight, I want to tell you, you know, this did my, my, my wife and I, this, this tithing part, we've already been doing that. 10% of our income goes to God. But he said when he brought up this 90-day challenge for a second tithe, he said, that was new to us. I was so glad, by the way, he's standing there and another young professional standing right here. So I'm, this, this whole thing is taking place. Don't need a preacher for this one. 
He says, let me tell you something. So we made the decision to do the second tithe. That weekend was Memorial Day weekend. I had to work on Sunday. Holiday. He said, I get a phone call. While I'm in the office on Sunday, my client, one of my clients overseas, yo, I got a new project I need you to help me with. And I'm telling you, Dwight, he said, I'm telling you, just as the phone began to ring all that week, projects coming in. I'm just saying, when God says, you test me, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there won't be room enough to receive it. I'm just saying that there are people saying it really does work. You don't need a preacher's word for it. Take theirs. Take this email, for example, this week. They said, Dwight, please do not mention our names. Look, you know that. I don't. Okay, so I get this email. Hi, Dwight. First paragraph, psh, gone. Second paragraph. Now, so this was a young professional I just told you about. Now we're going to go to retirees, other end of the spectrum. For some years, we have returned 10% tithe and an additional 18% for local offerings and other contributions to various ministries. However, last June, we retired. Oh. And you know what happens when you retire. A little. However, last June, we retired and our income dropped considerably. That meant less tithe, but also less offering money. Still, we didn't want to cut down on what we'd been giving to various PMC offerings, and yet we still wanted to be able to support other ministries, even if not at quite the same level as before. So, hold on to your pew now. Get ready. So, we decided to take the 30% challenge. Come on. I never talked about a 30% challenge. No, that's really... What he's writing here, we decided to take the 30% challenge, 10% for tithe and 20% for free will offerings. This we've been doing for nearly a year now. Amazingly, even though we're not working, we still seem to have as much as, effort, as, as ever. What an awesome God we serve. End quote. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. God's right. You can believe him or you can't. Your choice. Got people lined up here that believe him, and apparently he's true to his word. Oh, I got one more. So this is on the back of the Connect card. Okay, so you don't think anybody reads those little notes. This is on the back of the Connect card, and this is from the famous author Anonymous. So that means this is anonymous. There's no name attached to it. Okay? So here's what this anonymous person last Sabbath in this church. I don't know. He, she, which service? I don't know. God, oh, so I'm, I'm quoting now. God is good and he is doing great things already for me and I just started the 90 days challenge. I'm having a lot of fun with this. Thank you for helping me make this commitment. Hey, I didn't help you make that commitment. You took the word of God seriously. He said, hey, test me. Check me out. See if I not open the floodgates of heaven for you. Ladies and gentlemen, what do these three examples tell us? What's the big deal about these? They are living proof that, as Denny put it, a sense of debt to Christ is a gloriously joyful motivation to give and give and give. Put it on the screen, please. Give with joy and with joyful abandon. Just give. He'll take care of you. He will take care of you. John 15, 13, red letters, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Just this last week, President Obama quoted these words of Jesus. 
that we have been reading together. He was publicly reflecting on the stunning heroism of a young Marine, Corporal William Kyle Carpenter, recipient of the nation's highest military honor, the Medal of Honor. So here is Kyle. I want you to watch the screen now. Here is Kyle, very self-effacing, describing what the big deal is all about. You won't pick it up in what he says, but look at it. I made it just a few days short of my fifth month. You know, when we left the wire, we left our compound, our patrol base. It wasn't, hey, you think we're going to get shot at. It was uh, when and where. We knew the area that we were uh, moving into was, um, you know, was one of the rougher areas of uh, the area that we were in. Me and one of my one of my best buddies over there, uh, we were on post together, and uh, you know, the grenade um, hit me and him, and uh, you know we were severely injured, and uh, you know our our Marines do what uh, do what they do best, and uh, they took care of us, and they. Uh, you know, kept us alive. Uh, I lost my right eye, my right eardrum. I had a total blowout. Plates of bone under my eyes were uh, crushed and caved in. My nose was severely fractured. My lower jaw was uh, pretty much blown off. I'm still hearing kicking, and uh, you know, I have all my limbs, so uh, you'll you'll never hear me complain. Humble kid, isn't he? Not a word. So it takes the President of the United States to fill in the details. And just last week in the White House, listen to what the president, listen whom the president quotes as he tells the story. And up on the roof, behind a circle of sandbags, two Marines manned their posts. Kyle uh, and Lance Corporal Nicholas uh, Franzio. The compound started to take fire. Seeking cover, Kyle and Nick laid down low on their backs behind those sandbags. And then the grenade landed with a thud. Its pin already pulled. It was about to explode. And Kyle has no memory of what happened next. What we do know is that there on that rooftop, he wasn't just with a fellow Marine. He was with his best friend. Kyle and Nick had met in training. In Afghanistan, they patrolled together day and night, uh, a friendship forged in fire. Uh, Kyle says about Nick, he was my point man, and I loved him like a brother. When the grenade landed, other Marines in the compound looked up and saw it happen. Uh, Kyle tried to stand. He lunged forward toward that grenade, and then he uh, disappeared into the blast. Keep in mind, at the time, Kyle was just 21 years old. But in that instant, he fulfilled those words of Scripture, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. They found Kyle lying face down directly over the blast area. His helmet was riddled with holes. His gear was melted. Part of his Kevlar vest was blown away. Uh, one of the doctors who treated him later said Kyle was literally wounded from the top of his head to his feet. And for a moment, Kyle was still conscious. His eyes were open, but he couldn't see. Uh, Kyle remembers everything went white. Uh, and yet, even then, his thoughts were not of himself. 
One of the Marines who was there remembers how Kyle kept asking one question, uh, and that was whether Nick was okay. And then as Kyle's strength drained away, uh, he sensed uh, the end was coming. So according to Kyle's memories, uh, my last thought was to make peace with God. Uh, I asked for his forgiveness. I was trying to make the best and most of my last few seconds here on earth. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. We've gathered today to celebrate with profound gratitude and absolute joy the truth. That's why we're here alive. Somebody laid down his life. There are no more graphic symbols than these three that Jesus gave us so that we would never forget this greatest of all love. He gave us the body to be represented by the bread. He gave his blood to be represented by the cup. And he gave himself, the purifier, to be represented by the towel. Jesus said in John 13, look, at if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. And so, today, three compelling emblems that will bring us into the face of no greater love than this. Here in the Pioneer Church, we celebrate open communion. You're here with us as a guest today. We're, we're delighted and honored that you are. Enter into this moment. Take these three emblems. Be blessed to the max. There's no greater worship experience than this coming to the foot of the cross. Rooms are prepared downstairs. We've got a family room right downstairs. Oh, that room fills up. Another room adjacent to it also for families. We've got room for women and room for men. I want to invite you to take these three emblems and join me in expressing our profound gratitude for this greatest of all love. By the way, if, you, if uh, you're physically impaired, you just go right through that door that's opening right now. You won't have to go downstairs at all. Right around, right around the corner, the nursery room is prepared for you. If you enjoy gluten-free or you need gluten-free, Wafers, we've got them right here at the reception desk and in the narthex as well. So pick one up on your way back. Greater love has no one than this, than one lays down his life, her life, for their friends. Let's pray. Oh, God. Two thousand years ago, we've heard the story so often, sometimes it loses its edge. But a boy grown up, just a few days ago, the story that came to us is a reminder. Jesus is saying, there's no greater love than this. You can't find it. Any expression of it on earth comes from our heart. And so, Father, with profound gratitude and deep joy, we enter into this celebration now. The three emblems, bless them, draw us into the face of this greatest of all love, what wondrous love is this, O oh, my soul. Go with us now. Amen.